Good morning, everyone. Welcome to La Jolla Community Church. We're so it's so wonderful that you're all here with us this morning. Please stand and let's worship the Lord together.
so much. And so let's just take a moment and let that wash over us and think about all the things we're so grateful to him for. Thank you, Lord.
Well, good morning, good morning. Welcome to the Hawaii Community Church. My name is Ian O'Mara. I'm the Director of Community Life. And my name is Monica Disicon. I am a member here at LJCC. Yes, uh, so um, as always, we have our bulletin. If you have one, we um, would encourage you to fill out on the inside the Connect With Us card. If you are a first-time member, fill it out. If you've been going here um, a long time, fill it out. Um, there's a place to also give prayer requests. I know for me, this is something I, I look forward to doing every week, um, just to be able to share joys, sorrows together as a community. So uh, you can go ahead, fill out that Connect card, and then later in the service, when we take an offertory, you can drop that in and know that there's gonna be a whole community of people that are praying for you. Well, this past week we had a great event. How many people were here for the men's carne asada night? All right, was that fantastic or what? Yes. Yes, we got one person, yes. Well, I, I, was, I thought it was fantastic. You see some of the pictures flipping by here. We had over 65 men on our campus eating carne asada. We were hearing testimonies, we heard testimonies from John Wilson, from Don Wolfolk, from Gerald Wolomia, just about how God is moving in their life and, how that applied through some of these projects they were doing for Habitat, really like getting into the community, bringing the gospel, not over the border, not overseas, but locally here in San Diego, being the hands and feet of Jesus. It was a fantastic opportunity just to sit around tables and fellowship. Uh, one person said that it was like when the church started, people sitting around, having meals, fellowshipping together, being transformed to being with the body of Christ. It was an outstanding time. Thank you for all that participated. Keep your eyes and ears open because there's going to be more events like that coming on the horizon. Coming up, we have our annual congregation meeting. This is going to be next Sunday between services. Um, there's gonna be a couple different things that are happening. We're gonna be getting kind of a recap of where we were this past year, looking at the plans moving forward, and then also voting on trustee nominees. You will not be able to vote by proxy, so if you're a member, you do need to come and attend that service. And if you have children, uh, please pick them up in between the services, have them with you. Um, so yes, just make sure you have that in your calendars next Sunday between services. And as always, we have a lot going on at this church. If you go to ljcc.org, you can find out more information. You can flip to the cover, inside cover, and you'll see all those events that are coming up. Well, as we said earlier, we have a, a group of people that are praying for people when you put those requests in. And we're a church that's rooted in prayer, so that's one of our values. We're better together. So I'm going to invite Kathy up. Kathy, can you pray for us this morning? Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, you are majestic and mighty. You are holy, faithful, full of grace and truth. You are light and love. You're promised to be with us always, and we love you, Lord. Father, we confess that sometimes we pull up or shorten our own roots of faith. We fail to practice the spiritual disciplines that deepen our roots and closeness to you. We become lazy, or worse, apathetic, or lukewarm Christians. Hear now our silent confession. Thank you that when we confess and repent with sincere hearts, you are there to forgive us and restore us. You encourage us to love one another. Spend time in your presence. Listen for your still, small voice. Or pour out our hearts to you in prayer. To be joyful in our tithes and offerings. And to humbly love ourselves, others, and above all, you. 
Father, thank you for the redemptive work you're doing in the world today. Thank you for the prayer organizations that continue to pray for our country, our government, our leaders, and the rest of the world. Thank you for our church family. Thank you that this is a safe place where the truth and the powerful word of the Holy Bible is proclaimed weekly. May we each grow and experience a spiritual awakening and revival, and may we not be found to be lukewarm. And finally, may moms of all ages today be blessed to know that you are deeply, that they are deeply loved and cherished by God simply because of who you are. Your loving kindness makes the good times brighter and the trying times easier. You are a blessing that no one can replace. Be blessed to walk in the light of Jesus so that his name may be magnified in the coming generations. Be blessed as you carry the holy blessing of his presence with you every place you go. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Kathy. Well, did you notice the parking lot when you came in today? Did you see the back parking lot? We have a back parking lot. I just wanted to let you know we have a back parking lot. It is now graded and covered in gravel. A big major update, an upgrade, and uh, we can thank... Uh, uh, Bob Penner and Rich Sharp for working with Swinnerton Construction Company to put that deal together and then Drake and Mary and the crew here making all the details and logistics come together. There's a big building behind us that is building, uh, it's a Scripps Medical Facility and it's <clears throat> they're building a, a big giant parking structure over there and so the construction company needed a place to park their stuff so we gave them a very small section, the very very way back and, and part of the, the uh, very creative negotiating was that they would grade and gravel uh, that area. So it's a beautiful spot now. Uh, the second announcement I want to make is nobody's allowed to park there or walk on it because it looks so perfect. We, we don't want to disturb it at all. Uh, which then reminds me, uh, it's Mother's Day and I want to uh, wish all of you moms a very happy, wonderful Mother's Day uh, because this is in a sense a picture of becoming a mother. Uh, you have this idea that it's going to be just right. It's going to be so graded, the perfect drainage, we're going to cover it, and it's going to be just so neat and tidy, and then people start walking on it like the people that you give birth to, and all of a sudden you have all this stuff going on, and you realize, this, this is not my beautiful parking lot, what happened? Uh, how is that? Well, we, we live in a world uh, that is challenging, would you not say? Um, it's a very challenging world. When you, we were big on reading the Bible here. And my first, uh, my, the, the first two chapters of the Bible are my favorite. And then it kind of drops off from there. From like chapter three on, it, it's a disaster. And if you've ever wondered why life is so complicated, conflicted, and dysfunctional, uh, chapter three will explain it all to you. And then the rest of the Bible, uh, uh, when I first picked up the Bible, I read the New Testament. And then I started reading the Old Testament. I was shocked the people they let be included in the Bible. Everybody you read about is either conflicted or complicated or dysfunctional uh, people. Uh, and so um, here, here we are celebrating moms in the midst of a world where uh, everything looks like it could be great. And as soon as you start doing it, it gets very complicated, very conflicted, and often very dysfunctional. So first of all, I want to congratulate all you moms for doing all that you do to take on these immense challenges. Uh, that make life a lot more orderly, a lot more doable, a lot more bearable and livable. Uh, and so why is life so complicated, conflicted, and dysfunctional? 
Uh, because we are. We are. And that can be very depressing at one level because people are complicated, conflicted, and dysfunctional, and all of our beautiful dreams and our visions and our best intentions, uh, they still don't quite work out in the way that we hoped or planned for them to work out. And we question ourselves, wondering, how did I get here? This is not uh, what I planned on. Uh, how do I deal with it? And so here's the good news. This is what brings us together. We don't come together to say, uh, <clears throat> wow, we live in a dysfunctional, complicated, conflicted world. Let's get together and talk about it. We gather here because God has a plan. God has a plan to restore this world that is conflicted and complicated and dysfunctional. What he's doing is making it into something beautiful. His initial intent was that. He gave us a will. We make decisions whether we'll cooperate with him or not. And having, in a sense, turned our backs collectively on him, disobeyed him, compromised ourselves, he says, I love you so much, I'm gonna still do everything I can to make it right. Not in some sort of codependent way, but in an amazing expression of unconditional love that changes everything. That's the good news that brings us together, which is, again, makes me think of moms. Uh, is there no more uh, obvious example of unconditional love than moms? Now, I'm not discounting dads. Uh, we're gonna get back to you in June at Father's Day, if we have time. Um, <laughs> but, but when I think about a mom, I think about my own mom, uh, they are paragons of unconditional love. Wouldn't you say? And if, and if your mom wasn't, it probably wasn't for lack of trying. Because everybody has to work with what they got. Uh, but even if you could interview uh, moms who would feel like, I, I don't think I did a good job. But I really tried to do a good job. In this case, God is not only trying to do a, do a good job, he is doing a good job. And the good news is, he's redeeming this world and making it into something beautiful. And so this is the reason that Jesus came into the world. It's why he died to atone for our sins. It's why God raised him from the grave, breaking the power of sin and death over us. It's why he ascended into heaven where he reigns in glory. It's why uh, he promises to return and create a new heaven and a new earth. It's why he doesn't give up on us. Does that not sound like a mom? I guarantee that when everybody else in the world gives up on you, your mom generally won't. And if she does, then she has a really good reason. But it's the moms of the world who say, you know what, I know he did a bad thing. I know she made a bad decision, but I love her regardless. And so this is the beautiful thing that we get to remember on a day like today as we talk about this big picture of, of God's good news and God's plan uh, to make things right. The world that we hope and yearn for. And because we have the capacity to hope and yearn for such a world. It's no surprise that there is a God who actually created the world to be that way, and now having seen what we've done with it, is committed to redeeming it. This is an amazing thing that brings us together. He does not give up on us. So let that sink in. And as we talk about this big picture of God's love, uh, uh, that, that's the big theme today. Yes, it's Mother's Day, but Mother's Day really in the best sense makes no sense, uh, but for the love of God, because that's our referent. That's the thing we keep going back to. It's like, oh my gosh, God, God's love makes so much sense because I had a mother that loved me that way. And, a, and the love of a mom who loves you unconditionally makes it a lot more plausible to think there must be a God who created such a mom and created me with the capacity to yearn for that kind of world where love reigns supreme. <clears throat> and so we're in a spiritual childbirth process. We're conceived in love, transformed by love. Jesus describes it like being born a second time. In our culture now, that's sort of a mockable phrase. 
this born again phrase. Uh, oh, you're, are you one of those born agains? Uh, I've had any number of conversations with people saying, hey, I really, I, this whole thing about Jesus is really making sense to me. Uh, I just don't want to become one of those born again people. I go, well, actually, <laughs> the good news and the bad news uh, is what you think is a born again uh, caricature of somebody is actually the pathway to this life that you feel God is calling you into. Jesus described it as if being born a second time. And so we see that God is redeeming his world in Christ. So Paul says it this way in Romans uh, chapter 8, a letter written to people uh, who are following Jesus in Rome. He says, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Think about that. What a perfect analogy. The whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Something amazing is happening. And the closest analogy, the best metaphor is childbirth. Something important is at stake and it's a painful process with something hopeful attached to it. He goes on to say, not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly. Those of us who have tasted the goodness of Jesus Christ, who say, I could never go back to but not knowing Jesus because life would make no sense. It would be unlivable without knowing Jesus. Uh, and I've received this good news, and yet I'm still groaning internally. What's going on with that? And he says, as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies, for in this hope we were saved. There's something awesome going on that childbirth itself points to, reminds us of, gives us a place to say, okay, I get what's going on here. I can say it this way. I've seen childbirth up close, and I wouldn't volunteer for it. I've been there two times now, and, and I'd like to tell you that I didn't faint. I'd like to tell you that. No, I actually didn't faint because I was leaning against the bed going, breathe. Oh, wait, I'm ready to breathe. Yeah, that's right. I've seen it. Uh, I wouldn't volunteer for it, but Janet says it's all worth it, and I believe her. And having seen what follows childbirth, I absolutely agree. And I think you would too. Something beautiful happens out of that very difficult process. And so even as we who know Jesus experience this new life that Jesus gives us, we still moan and groan. We feel like, yes, it, it, it's true, it's real, it's good, but there's something more coming. What is that? We know it's worth it, but it's not yet complete. And so we see that this, this process that we're in with Christ, uh, as Paul says, we, we groan in this process of being birthed. It's a development process through awkward uh, f uh, phases and stages. Think about your walk with Jesus. If you know Christ and you've walked with him uh, for a lifetime or in the last several months, uh, you, you recognize that there's these phases and stages we go through, not in terms of this ascending height where we're getting more, we're, we're getting more worthy of God. Rather, he makes us acceptable right by his love and grace. And as we receive that, we are now beloved children. But like children, we see ourselves going through phases and stages of growth and development. Something being born and developed in us. And so this is what um, God alone can accomplish. God alone makes this possible. That's why it's not a, a process of, of uh, if you ever played baseball as a kid and you did a game called workups, and you basically would start in the field and you try to work up to be in the batter. And the better you did, the more you got to be the batter. It's not like that. God says, I'm inviting you to be part of, my, of, of, of a relationship with me. 
And so we're in. Uh, I don't have a verse for this, but, but the, but the, the uh, Apostle John says it this way, 1 John 5, 11, 12. This is the testimony. This is the truth from God. He has given us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. It's he alone, him alone, who makes us worthy and says, I invite you to receive this life that I'm giving you. And then once we come into that process of transformation, uh, we see that uh, there's a lot of development at work in us. We're born again in Christ, and then we're developed into our fullest maturity in Christ. This is the beautiful thing about seeing a mom uh, move from being an adoptive mom or a, a, a natural birth mom, and then walking her children through these stages of growth and development. This is where you don't want anybody to walk on the parking lot. You know, they're so precious. Uh, and then they puke, uh, oh my gosh, you know, or they're so precious, and then they, they, they need to be changed, or they're so precious. And then they fall on something, you get a cut or a bruise, you go, oh my gosh, my perfect little baby. And so as moms walk through these, with dads, these stages and these phases, they, re, they, they celebrate all those steps. We want to document them, right? And video and camera, we want to say, look at this. This is what she did here. This is what he's doing now. It's so fun, most of the time. <laughs> so this is what follows Easter and why the church exists. As our roots go deep in Christ, something beautiful blossoms. Uh, there's a crazy uh, way that the church historically has referred to time. Like we're in a season in the church's historic calendar called Eastertide. And it's the big culminating moment uh, of, the, of the church year, Easter. And it should be. But then the church had, I don't know why, and I get it, because it was they're using Latin words. But in English it doesn't sound right. The rest of the year is called regular time. Which sort of implies we're going back to the usual now. But following Easter, there is no regular time. Because time itself is being redeemed. Your past is being redeemed. Your present is being redeemed. Your future is being redeemed. So something profound and powerful happens because of Easter. And so rather than saying, let's go back to regular time now that that's over, we say, because of this event that changes everything, and because of this community that God has pulled together, called together, is equipping together, and then sending out together, uh, called the church. Everything is different. And so now as our roots go deep in Christ, we start to see this beautiful thing in us and among us uh, blossoming and bearing fruit. And so we're alive and yet we're being born again into something better through Jesus's resurrection life at work in us through his Holy Spirit. If you're new to all this, this is, this is the theology. This is the, the understanding and the interpretation of all that biblical data that starts in Genesis 1 and ends at the end of Revelation. This, this amazing and beautiful narrative a tragic and beautiful narrative of God's creation of the world, God's, God's intentional redemption of the world, and our part in that. Breathtaking. And so we see in Romans 8, 28, more in this letter from the Apostle Paul, we know now that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have responded to his love and who are thriving and growing in it, who have been called according to his purpose. And that primary purpose is to be in relationship with him, to be so filled with the love and the life of, of the resurrected Jesus that it flows from us, uh, not only blessing us, but blessing other people. And he says in, in uh, Romans uh, chapter 8, verses 38 to 39, he says, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, 
Neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Think about that. Nothing and no one can separate you from Jesus' love. If you've received him, if you believe in him, you are in. You're a beloved child of God. Nothing can separate you from that love. Culture can't separate us. Language can't separate us. Uh, last week, we, we baptized uh, a wonderful couple. They, they're from Persia. They don't speak English very well. He's a physician. She's a nurse. Uh, they've been walking with us for two years now and, and have been understanding. They understand what they can say. They've been understanding this narrative about Jesus. And so a couple weeks ago, we met and talked about what does that mean? What do you do with that? And, 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 and so they wanted to be baptized. And so we baptized them last week. So uh, uh, Oscar and Mahin. And when you see them, you meet them, uh, you'll, you'll, they'll, be, they'll be a little bit self-conscious. You know, I, I don't speak English very well. But yeah, that doesn't separate you from me because we have a common language now in Christ. That common language overcomes those human barriers of language or culture. But what we have together is in Christ and nothing and no one can separate us from him or from each other in Christ. At the men's Carnia uh, Sada night, uh, Don Wolfo got up and spoke. Uh, 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 John Wilson was eloquently speaking as well. And then Gilbert gets up and speaks. Gilbert who spent 10 years of his life in an uh, internally displaced persons camp in Uganda. And with his, his heavy Ugandan accent, but with that infectious love and joy that comes along from Christ, as he talked to us, did anybody in that room feel separated or outside feel separated from him? No. He felt so connected to him as a brother in Christ. So we are his beloved, and nothing can separate us from his love. Though lots of things can hurt us, and though God may seem at times far away from us, nothing can separate us from his love. It builds bridges over the barriers that, that inevitably or intentionally we create. And so for now, it's messy and painful, awful and awesome, beautiful and ugly, inspiring and bewildering, but he's always with us. This is the big narrative throughout the whole Bible. Specifically, we want to understand what it looks like following Easter, where all these promises made to the people of Israel are fulfilled in Christ and made available to us who are not the people of Israel. That having been adopted into that family, not the family of Israel particularly, but the family of those who like Abram, trusted in God and is credited to them as righteousness, makes us a family of faith. This is the big picture, and it gets very granular and specific in you. And so it's really important for us to understand the powerful implications of not just an event called Easter, but this movement of God's spirit that is calling each one of us into a relationship with him, through him with one another, and together in him uh, to bring into the world. And so he, uh, Jesus said it this way, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete, fully developed, fully filled. My command then is this, love each other as I have loved you. Uh, you know, the only, the most important confirming sign of faith is not do you go to church, do you tithe, do you serve, do you, all that is so essential to who we are as disciples. All that is absolutely essential and core to who we are. But all that is built on this one foundation, that we are receiving and learning to give to others the love of Christ. That is the one confirming thing that's ever, that's ever mentioned in the Bible. Ultimately, it's that 
if, if the love of Christ is real in you, through your confession in him and your experience of him, that is a confirming sign for you and for other people that you belong to Christ. It's not how perfectly you love, it's your commitment to learn how to love. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. And we know how that went for the disciples. It was a messy process, full of conflict and complications and dysfunction. And yet, that's where God starts. That messy little baby is the precious gift of God to that family. And that family sees it as such. And so they do all the things that they need to keep the baby clean and fed and, and, and intact as it grows and learns how to love. I don't know about you, when I was a little kid, I would say to my mom, uh, mom, look, I, I, I've made the hand in plaster. I've, I've, I've made the hand that I've, you know, I've painted. I've done all these other things to give you a gift, but it's Mother's Day and I'm getting a little older now. And um, what can I give you? And maybe your mom would say this, just like my mom did. Honey, she'd say, Stephen. Nobody else calls me Stephen. My mom called me Stephen, so I, you know. Um, so if you ever call me Stephen, I'll just say, Mom. Um, she said, look, all I want is your love. All I, want, all I want is your love. Oh, and then you would hit your brother. <laughs> oh, and then you clean up your room. Or the, but it was always the, way that the main answer was, no, I just want your love. There's no gift you could give me that would be more, be more important than that. Right? Powerful. So Christ's love gives us joy and power to love one another, and his love even moves us to love one another sacrificially. That's when it's inconvenient, it's not pleasant, when it's undeserved, so to speak. This is again the beauty of a mother's love. They love us when we don't deserve it. They see us as we are, but they see us as we could be. I love that picture, that metaphor. Of course, that's what a father's all about too. But today, guys, we're talking about moms, okay? And we're talking really about the Lord. And so Jesus goes on to say, greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. To be so scary close to each other that we know one another's pain, we know one another's struggles, we know what makes one another laugh or cry, we know those yearnings, we know those insecurities, and we don't exploit them, we don't manipulate them. We simply say, what do you need? Whatever you need. Uh, I want to give it to you. I want to do my best to give it to you. This is not some codependent, I'm going to save you mode. I'm a martyr mode. You owe me mode. It's simply saying, look, something important is, is, is at stake here. It's, it's our shared love in Christ. And so you probably won't love everybody always. If you've read that amazing and wonderful book by Bob Goff, Everybody Always, I beg to differ. No, I don't beg to differ. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't write a book called Nobody ever, you know, but um, uh, everybody always, it's a little bit, it's big. I don't know how I can handle that, but here's the deal. You can probably love more people more often, right? Let's start small. You might not be able to love everybody always, but you can love more people more often. And our love will motivate us to consider others in all we do. All of a sudden, you become aware of other people. You start to say, well, what are my feelings and my beliefs and my behaviors connected to? Who am I influencing? We start to not just try to live up to everybody's expectations, but we start to say, what does it look like for me to be considerate of the people around me? Even to the point of risking and suffering for those we love. I think I'd rather face a group of uh, mixed martial arts people 
than a mom standing between me and her kid whom she's trying to protect. This is every backpacker's greatest concern and fear is to stumble upon, oh, what a cute little bear cub. <laughs> oh, look at that little tiny, I think it must be a little baby lion. How cute is that? And at that moment, you realize, oh, no. Oh, no, where's mom? And if, the, if that, that bear or, or lion could speak, they'd say, just step away from the cub and nobody will get hurt. You might get eaten, but it won't hurt. You know? And so as we strive to do this in his power, we become more aware of how breathtakingly wonderful this love of Christ is. It literally takes our breath away when we, when we realize, wow, you love me then, and you love me now. And it seems like you love me more, but no, it's just that I'm more aware of how great your love is. Like Lucy said in the Chronicles of Narnia, that's when you're getting bigger. He says, no child, just your understanding of me is getting bigger. Your perspective of me is getting bigger. And so when I say we strive to do this, it's in his power. Paul writes to the Colossians and says, look, with all of his power working so evidently within me, I struggle, I strive. It's not to, not to live up to God's expectations, it's living out of God's resources. You see the difference with that? Powerful. We learn these disciplines. We learn these new habits. Most people don't need to be rehabilitated. Most people have never been habilitated. So it's not about rehabilitation. It's, it's initial habilitation. We need to learn how to love, uh, either from our moms and dads and family members and friends. And if that's not a sufficient, you know, certainly we need other help. But underneath all that, the ultimate habilitation comes from God himself to teach us his ways. Therefore, a mom and a dad then are more prepared to love their children as, we, as they love each other. And so this becomes a metaphor for how we love God. This whole process of being uh, raised and, and, and cared for in a family isn't a substitute. We've made a crazy substitution in our culture. We've lifted families so high, we say there's nothing more important than family. And it sounds so beautiful and so true. And as a parent, I, I, I can hear myself saying that, but it's, it's a lie. Because it connects us to an idol. And an idol is a false version of God. Our ultimate allegiance has to be to the Lord because he's the source of the love that makes us alive and sustains us in life. And, and, and out of that love, we have the capacity to love unconditionally that child entrusted to us as a mom or a dad. That friend entrusted to us by God's grace. That church entrusted to us by the mercy of Christ pulling us together to be his people. You see the power in this? And you can't game it. Say, well, I'm so busy loving God, I can't love you. Imagine how horrific that would be for a child to hear from a mom or dad. I'm too busy loving God to love you. You're not really important enough to me. How we want our children to experience it is my mom and dad would do anything for me. And if somebody were to ask them as they had more life experience, why, why do you think that was the case? Because you were so lovable all the time? You say, well, yeah, kind of. They just love me for loving me. But no, I, I'd have to say it's because I know that they love God first and most. And out of that overflow, they love me best. You see the power of that again? And so Paul then writes to some people in Ephesus and says, I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. This is what's breathtaking about it. 
It's omnidirectional. Everywhere you look, you go, oh my God. And he says, yes, it's me. And no, we don't use his name in profanity. We use it as a recognition and a reference point and, and, a, and a fixed point on our horizon to say, it's your love that I've been yearning for. It's your love I've been leaning on. It's your love that gives me hope. It's your love that gives me the capacity to love other people. Right. And there's more of it. There's way more of it. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, Paul says, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Why does it surpass knowledge? Because I don't think we're knowledgeable enough about love. That's why counseling is so powerful. When you go to see a counselor, they're saying, let me draw out of you an understanding of who you are. Because I know what you yearn is to be loved and to know how to love. And in those counseling moments for an individual, for a couple, for a family, they tapped into this knowledge of how to love. You know, if you listen more, I think you'd, you'd be showing love more. Oh, wow, really? Yeah, that's a gesture of love. Okay, wow. And all these, all these skills we start to learn, they are knowledge, right? But the knowledge ultimately that God wants to give us is not just head knowledge, which is just so much more, a, 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 I guess, attractive to us. We have a highly educated congregation with degrees and multiple degrees. I think they ran out of degrees at MIT. They kicked Charlie Frazier out finally. They said, look, we've given you every degree we've ever invented, and uh, there's nothing else to give you, so you may as well leave and go to work, right? You know? But this knowledge isn't just what we'd call noose, noetic knowledge, head knowledge, which is super important. It's a transforming uh, understanding of something. It's the ontic, ontos knowledge. It's the being knowledge. So somehow these ideas connect with our actual core being. There's transformation. And even then we say, it goes beyond that. It's not irrational, this love of God. It's super rational. It goes beyond my capacity to even understand it properly. Powerful, powerful, powerful. Attractive, attractive, attractive. And what it does is fills us to the measure of all the fullness of God. That's why it's transformational. That's why it's, we call this a, a, you know, a, 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 a spiritual experience in the best sense of the word. Not spiritual because I felt some warm fuzzies. It's spiritual because it takes me to a place I couldn't get otherwise and it transforms me in ways I couldn't actually do but for him. And so now to him, Paul says, who was able to do this immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus, throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. This is big, very big. It's from God himself, to us, through us, extending generation to generation. If you, want to, if you want to influence future generations, learn to love God. Learn to receive the love of God. Learn to understand the love of God in relationship with other people, including your family. And you, in fact, will shape generations. If you want to withhold anything from future generations, do not respond to God's love. Do not embrace God's love. Do not try to understand it and relate to it and apply it in relationships. Otherwise, you'll be, you'll be releasing this legacy of love that will affect every generation. Don't do that. You know, the, the, uh, the Chinese scientist who did the genetic modification that, that, that um, was announced a few months ago, and he's now in, I don't know if he's in jail, but he's in a, in a trial situation now because he genetically modified these embryos and babies were born. The scientific world was aghast shocked. They said, look, we love the science, but you're, you're out of, you're, 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 this is non-ethical because you don't know what you're releasing to future generations. 
The science is awesome. That tool, CRISPR-9, whatever it's called, is an awesome tool, but we don't know enough to release it into future generations. Do not release this into future generations. And his, his, his response was, well, yeah, but I'm trying to protect future generations from this disease that one of the parents had. Right, beautiful. We're not prepared to do that. Don't play God. But when God is involved in it, what does it say? We can't help but glorify him. And every generation will in turn glorify him. As we live by God's love, he is glorified and generations are blessed. I, I'm delighted. I thank God for Janet and Lauren celebrating Mother's Day together uh, as mother, as daughter, as moms. I'm not so delighted that they're doing it in Dallas, but I'm really happy that, that Janet and Lauren can say, oh my gosh, mother, daughter, and we're celebrating being moms together. That's a generation to generation thing. Now, here's the good news. As the church becomes what Jesus calls us to be, there's no happier home on earth. There's no happier home on earth. And no place we'd rather be. People wouldn't leave it, but would reproduce it wherever they go. Let that sink in. The goal of being a parent is that your child would say, I, I want to leave home, I want to go to college, I don't want to perhaps marry. I want to you know, create my own version of home. Versus maybe some of you would say, no, my story was I couldn't wait to get out of the house because I didn't know if I'd survive one more day. And it, and it felt like I, I was getting out of prison early by getting to leave. And I would never do that to anybody. So I want to create a whole different kind of home. If you leave angry, and if you don't look at what that experience was about, you will replicate the exact same thing because it's been imprinted on you. You've internalized it, right? This is why what we do as the people of God is so important. I love the fact when people say, you know what, we're moving to a new, I just got an email yesterday. Hey, I, I'm moving to a new community. Uh, can you help me find a church like this church? And I always ask them, are you sure? Uh, nobody pretends we're a perfect church, but we have lots of people going lots of places. And they'll come back and visit, and they'll say, it's so great, you know, God led me to a place like this. Oh, another dysfunctional, conflicted, complicated place? <laughs> they go, kinda? No, what I learned here is that these are people who are gathering together in Jesus' name saying, we need to learn how to love each other so we can love other people in his name. That's what they love about this church. Nobody would ever call us a perfect church. Only people who've never been to our church would call us a perfect church. But, but I would like to think that in every family, there's kids saying, you know what, we're not a perfect family, but I want to go create a family like this. That's my hope for my kids. That they want to create a family like this. Uh, that they want to be part of a church that is alive in Christ, however imperfect it is, however riven at points it is with complications and conflict and even dysfunction. So I want to tell you, uh, a secret. Well, it's not really a secret. It's a mystery. And this is from, again, from Paul writing to Corinthians. He says, listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. Uh, Jim, up to grab um, his memorial service. Uh, we, we celebrated it a week ago. Uh, it was wickedly funny. Uh, one of my, I mean, gosh, I can tell you Jim up to grab stories, but I, he's, Whenever he heard this, 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 the first time he ever heard me say this in a sermon, I walked out and he goes, you know, that in almost every nursery and every church in America, that's 
that's painted on the, on the entrance. I said, really? And I said, think about it for a second. Oh yeah, we will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. <laughs> that's what I did, I had to think about it, and I started laughing, I said, that's brilliant. <laughs> he goes, yeah. He goes, the church I grew up in, that's what it says. He walked in the nursery, he says, we will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. I thought, wow. You know, uh, that should be on the front of every church, never mind the nursery, right? You know, we will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. What's Paul saying? He's saying, look, when Christ returns, there's going to be people who are alive. And when Christ returns, there'll be people who have gone to be with the Lord, and they will be asleep. And they'll be raised up, and we'll all be involved in this together. So what he's saying is that, you know, death cannot separate us from God's love or from the love of those whom we love. And this journey in Jesus that proceeds from Easter and roots us in Christ takes us where we could never go otherwise. It's all about him. And because it's all about him, it moves us. Because he loves us. He wants us to be where he is. So he came where we are so that he could take us with and so by faith in Christ, we will all be changed and for the better. Mother's Day, therefore, is a tribute to those who help us change for the better. Mothering us changed their life. And in response to that, they changed our diapers. <laughs> they cared for us. They nurtured us. They continue to care for us and nurture us in partnership with a dad or, 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 or and grandparents and family and friends. I always say, you know, our kids turned out great because it's 50-50. 50% Janet, 50% her mom. Uh, I mean, thank God for wonderful grandparents and aunts and uncles uh, and family members and friends who influence our kids. And so Jesus changes us from sleeping people to resurrected people. And we get to experience the power of the resurrection right here and now. There's no more regular time. It's all resurrection time following Easter. That's where we're going. Uh, at, at Jim's memorial service, uh, his son, Derek, who uh, is now a professor of literature uh, at uh, Azusa Pacific University, uh, quoted a poem written by one of his professors, a guy named Scott Cairns. Scott is an amazing, uh, wonderful Christian guy. And, and, and this is one of the most profound poems I've ever heard heard and read, and I, I love it. He captures the theology of what we're talking about, this love of Christ that can't be, uh, it will not be denied us. This love of Christ that we will not be separated from. This love of Christ that is rooted right now in the world in which we live, and it's essential that we grow in it now. This is the love that carries us through life into life that we're groaning and yearning as if in childbirth. And so this is the consolation, that the world doesn't end, that the world one day opens up into something better, and that we one day open up into something far better. Maybe like this. One morning you finally wake to a light you recognize as a light you've wanted. Every morning it has come before. And the air itself has some light thing in it that you've always hoped the air might have. And one is there to welcome you 
whose face you've looked for during all the best and worst times of your life. He takes you to himself and holds you close until you fully wake. And it seems you've only just awakened, but you turn, and there we are, the rest of us, arriving just behind you. We'll go the rest of the way together. Uh, and so today, uh, like you, I thank God for my mom. Uh, I thank God for my mom, and I miss her dearly. But I'll catch up with her and see her again someday. And she'll turn and say, oh, Stephen, I, I, I she had a British, British accent, right? And so she would say, oh, Stephen, I think I fell asleep. But I'm awake now, and everything is so much better. And I'll say to her, yes, yes, it is so much better. So Lord Jesus, that's my prayer for us, that in you we would see how everything is so much better now and ahead. And so, Lord, I pray for us that we can be so focused on you, so rooted in you right now, that we would see it getting better as we learn to listen to you and love you and listen to one another and love one another, as we learn to serve with all those things you've entrusted to us that would glorify you and bless others. And, Lord, we look forward to that day when we catch up with those we love and be able to go further together. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Steve. This brings us to a time of tithes and offering. And as the ushers come forward, if you have your prayer connect card, you can take those out and put those nicely into the offering basket. And this is a time where those who call the Hoya Community Church home give back out of the abundance which, which we received. So if, you, if you're a visitor, just sit and just contemplate the sermon and where is God leading you in that. And so let's continue our time of worship. And worship is when we take our eyes off ourselves and we put it on our Lord Jesus Christ with giving and song. Thank you. 
Somebody will pray for you, and if you if you want to tell them what you need prayer for, feel free to do that too. But we want to pray for you if you have anything on your heart or mind for yourself or for anybody else. And if there's anything we can do to help you grow in your relationship with Jesus, we want to know whether it's being in a life group, connecting you to a Bible study, uh, to uh, um, community Bible study, any number of things we can do to help you take that next step in your relationship with Jesus. If you're moving somewhere, we'll help you find a church wherever you're going. So now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon us all, giving us his love, his mercy, his peace, his power, both now and forevermore. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Have a wonderful Mother's Day.